You're listening to Becoming CEO, where we share our journeys as solo founders to becoming the CEO of seven-figure businesses. And these are our behind-the-scenes conversations as we figure it out. And these are things that most people just aren't sharing. So I hear you have a renewed sense of respect for your sales team. Yes. Yes. Uh, I have hopped back into sales, uh, air quotes, temporarily. Um, my initial intent was I'll take like, I think it'll take like 15-ish calls. My reason for jumping back in uh, is uh, a couple reasons. The primary one being um, we want to start recruiting for um, fundamentally both an advisor, a, a, like a closer and like a an SDR type person towards the end of Q1. Um, by the first half of this year, we'll definitely have one of each. Um, and so... It's been a while since I kind of like looked through our like training material. It's been a while since I've been on the phone. Our offers changed and evolved. Our avatars evolved. So like I'm basically hopping back in to kind of get a pulse back on what's happening so that I can create. I've mapped out like kind of like a mini sales training that my the new people are going to go through. And it's also in simultaneously the the that's the main goal. The, the second piece of it is um, I'm putting more of a structure in place because I m- my current closer has like deviated from the script over the last two years he's been with us. And so like, hey, let's both be back on the same page with what I want you to be saying and what I believe you need to be saying. And I need to be on the calls and saying it myself to make sure that it's something that I feel like genuine we should be saying and doing. Um, so also getting him kind of further dialed in. Uh, those are the, like the two main reasons. I think the third last one, which we're, I've already know is not really a requirement, but like we were questioning, do we need another person like right now based on call availability? And so seeing the slots in which people are booking calls and not booking calls when there's actually like, for example, in the middle of the day, like someone can book a call at 1 p.m., for both of my, like my time and his time. And he's on Eastern. And so like, we're seeing the middle of the day calls is the hot spot. And so it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to bring someone on, I know I probably am going to have to start them on part time um, in the beginning anyway. And so what slots should we be making available to this person? I think we're also going to start to see some trends on that. So I'm like, hey, like, are you available during these hours? Because that's kind of where I need early bandwidth. So first question is, did you, did you jump in because you thought sales was the bottleneck or did you jump in because you wanted to have like a frontline understanding of what prospects are saying? Um, the, the latter, but not because the former is not true. So what is your bottleneck right now? Well, it's quality leads, like qualified leads. Um, and we've gone back and forth, like, are we not making enough offers because it's, is it a quality issue? Is it truly a quality lead issue or is it a closing issue? And even on the two calls that I've taken so far, I can see that it's probably 
a tiny bit of both. Um, obviously very early data, but the, the preliminary was I want to get a better pulse on the avatar um, so that we could get better at qualifying who should be on calls and who's not because we've been getting some feedback from the sales team saying that, um, like, hey, I got off the call early. This person wasn't a good fit. And so based on some of the info, it's like, it's, it's a gray area to me. I'm like, ah, like I could see how they would be. Why can't I articulate why they would be? So I'm hoping to gain some of that. So the bottleneck specifically is, if you think about it in terms of, we generate a lead, we qualify the lead, we Convert. make them an offer, and yeah. we close them. Yeah, it's the make. I think it's like the the conversion from from qualified marketing lead to offer made. Right, right. And so you're trying to investigate. You know, if marketing generated a qualified lead and they got on a call and they didn't get an offer, why didn't they get an offer? Did right. They actually, not you know deserve an offer. Are they actually a bad fit? In which yep. case, how do we tighten up the qualification process? Or should they have gotten an offer, but the sales team needs more training on how to how to make an offer to different types of leads? What you said. Well said. Got it. So so I, I have a bunch of questions for you around why you chose to get into the weeds here. And that was kind of the first one is yeah. you've deduced that this is this is the bottleneck right now. This is the major mm -hmm. thing. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So so you've come to the conclusion that this is absolutely the major bottleneck and needs to be investigated. Why are you the one to investigate it? Um, well, so it's me in some regards and it's other team members on other elements. So like, for example, I just got a report from marketing that I literally got five minutes before hopping on with you. I managed to run an analysis on what people are saying on our segmentation questions versus what they're saying on applications. Here are my thoughts in a loom and there's a graph. So like, I need to see like, we're looking at the quality, like what is quality? What are they saying in one place versus application? Then cross-reference and then uh, my other ops person is cross-referencing that against who got offers and who didn't based on our end of day sales reports. So like I'm getting data but I'm also like what I'm coming in at is the, I guess the non-quantitative perspective because my team is really good at numbers. I'm not like I'm looking for the things that maybe the salesperson is not hearing that would say, hey, that person was qualified. They should have gotten offer. Here's why. Let's work on why you're not seeing that or hearing that and or not even getting to it because you're not nailing the discovery piece well. Um simultaneously, like for example, on one of the two calls that I took yesterday, there was a guy who via well, looking at his application, I don't think should have even gotten the call. His offer was really interesting. Um, I hopped on and I could, I made him an offer. And it's one of those, like, if he decides that he wants the thing that we do, He's a perfect fit, but mm -hmm. he's not sure if he wants that thing yet, which is tends to be what that avatar displays, but it didn't show up in his application that he was really interested in what we do. And so like I could, I could see how the application would have ruled him out. And I could see how if that, if we didn't get to his desire for expanding his revenue streams down market, that 
he wouldn't have gotten an offer either. He's just like, oh, he just wants to focus on going after Fortune 500s, these like six figure deals, like which is not our ideal avatar. Um, but he's like, no, like I kind of don't want to have all of my business tied to that. And I was like, well, in order for us to help you, our system is designed for you making this decision for down market, not for going up. You let me know. And we have a follow up on Monday and he's going to like put some serious thought into it. And so it's like, I, I need to, if that happens multiple times now, I'm like, oh, okay. Like how do I now fix the application questions or how do we, how do we get to that faster? Yeah. Or, and maybe this is going to veer us a little bit off course here, but, or do you need to sell the opportunity of going down market into a more productized offering stronger in your marketing so that they come on already predisposed? Yeah. Also, yeah. Also, also it's impacting messaging. Like I'm in the process of reworking another kind of byproduct. This is like, I'm in the process of reworking our VSL. And like, I'm sure that some of the Intel from these calls will will be played into, oh, maybe I need to be, I should touch on that point that I wasn't thinking about touching on, but maybe it needs to be touched on. So tell me about some of the outcomes you expect to come out of this process. So you're getting back on the front lines, you're taking some sales calls, making some offers. What's going to happen as a result? What's your plan? Uh, first is, this is the script. This is the broken into the phases of the conversation um, with clear criteria as to when you advance the conversation from one phase of like from say, you know, current reality to roadblocks as a dumb example inside of the sales script um, that will inform one of our huddles, which is now driven towards drilling one part of the script. Um, so like we all need to be working from the same script for like, Hey, we're working on part one of the script on this call. Like we all need to be operating from the same thing. So it's like, the de facto sales flow script process is will be done. Um, I will have a recorded training walking through how to do it with recorded calls of both closes and non-closes that fundamentally is the, here's the X videos that I'm going to give new salesperson so that they are brought up to speed on our shit. Oh, damn, I cursed again. So no more, no more PG. Uh, sorry, kiddos. Um, that's like the one immediate or Q1 deliverable, like a packaged onboarding for new salespeople. Um, I'm guessing that there will be a potential of updating application questions, updating segmentation questions, uh, influence slash update on our top of funnel messaging slash our VSL topic and what we cover in the VSL. So it'll impact marketing message as as well. So that'll be woven through a lot of different existing and or new assets that need to be created. What do you think the risks are of doing this yourself? Um, well, I currently don't have anybody else that can do it because I only have one closer. So like, the current sales, the whole sales situation is completely biased based on one person that's been closing for me for a while. Um, Forget the fact that you don't have anyone else that can do this for you, but like, you know, what's the downside of a founder jumping in and doing this kind of work? Potentially. Oh, um, I mean, in this, in this case, 
energy for me. Um, like it's not my sweet spot. Like I, I think I alluded to before the call started recording, like I had a full day of content creation. Like I'm putting together this new training for our clients. Like I was very much in client delivery mode. Um, and then I hopped on two sales calls to kind of like finish my day. And I was freaking gassed. Like, I was like, that was so draining two hours of my life. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that impacts my current energy that needs to be allocated towards other projects that I'm focused on. Um, I, in some way, it could take away a tiny bit of volume from my current closer. It's like, that's, I mean, we've discussed it. So it's not like, I know it's not an actual concern and it's temporary. So it's like, I'm, I don't, I'm not really worried about that, but um, there's that. Uh, as the creator, I could easily see myself rejigging more stuff, wanting to rejig more stuff based on my findings that were not planned for that could create downstream project effect. That's probably the biggest, biggest risk, like new projects are formed, new initiatives, new pivots or tweaks to certain parts, key parts of the business that have that impact other people, like offer, <laughs> like, like we just, cause like, for example, uh, one thing it's kind of on the table, but like would definitely be validated in this process. So in November, we revamped our entire new client onboarding process. And the first, like call it 30, 60, 90 days is pretty linear. I could see how some of that might get reorganized if certain trends continue, which feels early to be changing that since we just changed it in November, but also might make our lives a lot easier on the client success. It could make our lives easier on the client success side, but um, soon to be hopefully understood. So, I think it's an interesting discussion on as a founder CEO, when to get into the weeds, get onto the front lines, when not to potentially, I think there's, there's a, there's the right time to do it. There's a the wrong time to do it. And there's a bunch of risks to be aware of. So let's, let's debrief a little bit. Yeah. I, I think one caveat to like, um, and maybe this is, I don't think this is a derailing, but like, so yeah. I wear the CEO hat. I'm also the sales manager. I'm also the marketing manager currently. Like the only person, the only hats, like lead hats that I don't wear are client success and operations. So like while I am the CEO, if I had a sales manager, I would expect that this would probably be the sales manager doing this not the CEO. I'm just wearing both hats. So it's like, I don't know. I, I feel like that's got to be like a clear distinction. Like if I had that role, I'm, I'm not jumping in as the CEO. I'm, I'm the CEO. I'm jumping in as the sales manager because I think that's my responsibility as the sales manager 
not the CEO. I just happen to yeah. be wearing both hats. I, I got a, I got a list. I, I'm working through a mental list, a checklist, if you will, of, you know, here's one to get into the weeds. When these things mm-hmm. are true, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And so let me work through my list and feel free to add, disagree, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So what is the checklist? What are the things that need to be true for you as a CEO founder, even if you are wearing other hats? to kind of step outside of your normal role, get into the weeds, get into the front lines to actually solve a problem. Yep. Okay. I'll I'll write it. I'll write it down. Okay, great. Number one, is this the bottleneck? That's the first question, right? Is this the, the, the major bottleneck? We have a whole conversation, a podcast episode on bottlenecks. So refer to that, that episode, um, I don't know what it's called. It probably says something about bottlenecks. Is this the bottleneck in the business? Because your job as a CEO, and this is where you have to kind of separate out your CEO hat from your other, your other hats. And most of us at this level are wearing many hats, but your number one job as a CEO that trumps all other jobs is solving the major bottleneck of the business. That's question number one. Is this the bottleneck? And I think we've established for, for those listening. Yeah. For those listening, the podcast is called find that bottleneck. Pretty clear, pretty clear labeling here. We, we've got our labels down. So that's question number one. Is this the bottleneck? Question number two yep. is, am I the only person who can do this? In other words, are there other people on the team who can potentially do this just as well or almost as well as me? And I think that's an important question because it may be a bottleneck, but as a CEO, as a founder, the work that you do needs to be as much as possible, like 80%, needs to be the work that only you can do. I don't mean that only you can do in absolute terms, but in terms of on your team. Yeah. Nobody else can do what you do. And if you're spending at least 80% of your time on work that only you can do, nobody else on your team can do this anywhere near the level of proficiency and efficiency that you can do it with, you're doing something right. Yep. Closely related question, but it's a little bit different. Is should you? Are you the best person to do this? Mm. I thought you were going to go with: Am I the only person that could do this? Am I the only person that should do this? That's also a fair question. But I think there's also a question around: Are you the best person to do this? Because I think there's some cases where you could do it. You may be apparently the only person who can do it. But there's an argument that you're not going to be the most effective, especially if you consider going outside the organization, which I, to be fair, I don't think this is true in your case, yeah. right? But in the interest of providing a framework, you know, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a tangible example of this. Yeah. So we're actually going through a very similar process as you. But we're looking at our sales process a little bit more holistically. We have now a, 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 a two-part sales process where we have an introductory qualifying call with an SDR. Mm-hmm. And that gets passed on to a growth consultant or a closer, right? And they may have one, two, three, whatever, however many calls necessary to, to serve the prospect. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of moving parts in between now as a result. We've got the, the original booking that comes from an ad or from an email, whatever it may be. Then we have that qualifying call. There's questions that are asked on that call. There's a conversation that happens there that could very well be optimized. There's material that gets shared after they book the second call. Mm-hmm. There's a confirmation process. 
there's all these moving parts, right? It's a relatively new process. We've been running it for about 40, 45 days. We're gathering our first round of data on this. And now there's a really strong need to just to take a look at what's going on, both quantitatively in terms of hard metrics and qualitatively. What's happening on this call? What material are we mm -hmm. sending? Is this working? Yada, yada, yada. Right. I could do all of that myself. It's a big project. But I could, if I looked at the organization, I'm probably the only person who has the kind of broad enough scope to be able to do that kind of review. Um, I probably do the best job of it. It's absolutely the bottleneck. It's the right place to focus. But in this case, I brought on somebody external to guide that exercise because I think they're going to do a better job of structuring the project than I could. So that's kind of what I mean by and what are role you is the that? best person. That's an external consultant. So they, they've, they've come in with a mandate of help us optimize this thing. They're not doing the work. They're more structuring the project, yeah, yeah. guiding us through the decision-making, and then we're doing yeah. the work. Yeah. Yeah, totally valid. Um, yeah, I kind of think of like the whole like racy, uh, you know, responsible, accountable, consulted, informed, like my marketing team, my ops team, like they're both also providing data as it relates to my findings so far and also things that they're seeing in data that I can now have in my head as I'm kind of going through this process. So like, I definitely don't feel like I'm doing it. I don't think I could do it. I, if I were to do it alone, it would be very, uh, it would be way more um, uh, based off of gut and feel than like data supported. And so I do feel like we'll end up with a better outcome to take my emotion-based style of work and cross-reference actual, actual data, which I wouldn't pull or want to pull or be the best person to do any of that stuff at all. Like it would just never get done. So, so that's I, a really important point because you need to have guardrails around this. You, yeah. You're going to have certain things that you feel strongly about. As do I. Like, there's a, if I listen to a sales call, there are certain things that people will do on my team on sales calls that will drive me nuts. Mm. That doesn't make them important. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. That doesn't mean that we need yeah, to solve yeah, those yeah. problems. It doesn't mean totally. that it's, it's, it's like actually a problem. It just means it bothers me. Yep. And so without guardrails around the exercise or other people collaborating on it or somebody else guiding it, I'm going to have a tendency to solve the things that bother me as opposed to the things that are actually important. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I mean, I have definitely have constraints. I mean, like we already have our standing sales huddle calls where we're like with my current closer chatting about some of the things. Um, I mean, obviously my next, uh, sales huddle, but which is later today, well, I'll have be, I'll be three calls in. Um, there's only capacity in my current calendar for me to take up to four calls a week um, on days that I chose. And so if they get booked, then they get booked. Then if they don't, I'm not going to have calls. Um, my goal is like I said, I want to take at least 15 to feel like I've had a sample size of like, okay, I feel good about some of these trends. I may not feel good after 15. It might take me longer to get 15 but like, that's kind of the parameters that I set so far. Um, and I know I can fill my calendar very quickly because I did the email that you gave me <laughs> to fill, the, to, to fill the, these first handful. Um, 
So I feel like I'll be able to get the sample size in a uh, in a way that I'm still focused on my other priorities as well. And I think that's the other key takeaway here. Like if you decide that, yeah, it's a bottleneck. I'm the only one who can do it. I'm the best person to do it. Yada, yada, yada. Mm. Um, you know, put a hard limit on it, either in terms of time or volume, right? So you know what the endpoint is. Yeah, totally. And to your point, like the across not just sales, but like there's things that people on my team probably do that would make me super cringe. That doesn't mean that they're necessarily the wrong thing or not the right or not helpful um, and or moving us in the right direction. It's just not the way that I would do it. And that's why I cringe. And so I feel like that's like in some areas I'm especially on the client success side, I've been working on staying out of like my team has done a good job of getting me out of some of those things. Um, and like, for example, like yesterday I, I asked a question that would have brought me back into one of the things I asked to get out of. And they were like, remember you asked to not be a part of those conversations. And I was like, yep, good point. Thanks. I don't need to know. Like, because it's not really going to change anything. All like the business isn't going down based on that sort of decision. Um, to your point about like, is this, something I should be focused on part of. And I know these things are so intertwined and this might just be my own opinion, but like the, I think the learning that I get from solving this one specific thing is going to impact a key part. Like we suffer right now. I feel like on somewhere on the front end conversion it very well could be messaging. It very well could be sales. We know that there's definitely a sales problem and we want to expand in sales. I do think I am at risk by only having one closer. Some people say like one closer is zero closers, two closers is one. Like part of that I feel to be true. And I know that especially after yesterday, I don't want to be the one. <laughs> um, so like having more versatility in that role, like, cause if one closer has a slump, like the whole business has a slump, right? Like there's not any hedge. And so like, that is an area that I know we're going to bolster in this. Um, while simultaneously, I do think making our messaging better because I, my, my gut feels that there's something off there as well. Um, so like of again I have the people that are consult consulting and responsible for helping me getting part of this done but at the end of the day I can uh, I'm accountable for marketing results and I'm a, like as head of marketing and I'm accountable for for our sales team and so like irrespective of if I'm also wearing the CEO hat those are my accountabilities from those two departments and and I'm operating as if I'm wearing that hat, not the CEO hat. At least I'm trying. Yeah, look, I think this is where a lot of businesses fail too. So with regards to the very specific example of getting on the front lines and talking to prospects and customers. So, and that can look a couple of different ways. That's getting on frontline sales calls, which you're doing, which I have done, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, that can also look like what we're doing right now is we're interviewing some of our best fit clients that have already enrolled to better understand their journey in discovering us and making a decision. And I'm doing yeah. those interviews myself. Okay. Yeah. I think 
uh, there's absolutely a, a time to do that kind of thing and the payoff is significant and you've kind of delineated the payoffs of doing so earlier in mm -hmm. this episode. I also think a lot of a lot of businesses fail because the founder CEO gets out of the weeds too soon and refuses to ever get back into them. Yeah. Oh, right? totally. This is kind right, of the totally. unpopular opinion, right? And yeah, maybe yeah. Somewhat counterintuitive to the becoming CEO um, you know, uh, philosophy shared thus far, but, you know, sometimes you're the only person that can solve the problem or really get, you know, what you said earlier about, like, I have a gut feeling that our messaging is off. No one else gets that gut feeling. <laughs> yeah. One of, one of my, I was talking to one of my buddies and he's like, he's like, the only thing I can equate it to is like Spider-Man, like the Spidey sense. And he's like, mm -hmm. as the owner of the business who sets the vision, who kind of is the lead pulse on the whole, the whole thing. You can't ignore your spidey sense. And so like, if you've been having the spidey sense go off for a decent amount of time and you've possibly withheld because of that narrative of like, Oh, I can't jump back in now. I'm the CEO. Like, but yet you still have that spidey sense. Like it's probably a sign you should get your ass back in there, <laughs> you know? And that's, I easily could have started doing this last year and I withheld and I don't, I don't really feel like it's gotten all that better. Uh, and so kind of prompt with some of our current goals, it's like, well, I, I got to jump back in, in this way, respond to the spidey sense so that our potential goals are actually like, I can make sure that those are realistic goals. <laughs> I can easily say with a very high degree of confidence that that mistake, not jumping into the weeds sooner when I should have and holding back because I was trying to be the founder CEO, mm -hmm. that that's cost me a million bucks over the years. Oh, easy. easily, easy, easily, easy. Yeah. Which is wild to think about. Yeah. You know, one, one thing to maybe end on. I was having a conversation with one of my original mentors and he made this comment to me that has a little bit different of a frame, but I think ties to this. And he goes, um, he said, uh, or is it, I'm pulling it up. The only thing we fight is our own fear and our own ego. We're afraid of being embarrassed saying I had to hop back into sales or, my business is only making X dollars in income because we were afraid of what someone else might think of us. And that's our own ego. It's like, yeah, I had to hop back into sales and it might be the reason we do better than our projections by the end of the year because I did it. Is that make me less of a CEO? Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, but like I definitely, some of that, why I didn't do it, is totally ego in the past of like, well, my team should do these things duh, 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 because I'm the CEO. It's like, well, you have, you're the, also the leader of these other departments. So you're not doing it as the CEO. Uh, so I definitely think that that's, uh, it's more of the, the ego of what we think someone else might think of us having to do that versus the business actually needing it. I had to hop back into sales in Q4 of 2022. That was partially a result of turnover and partially because of many of the issues that you're referring to today is what we mm -hmm. were experiencing back then. 
And as a result, we had a record profit for the quarter in Q4. And now the sales team is stronger than ever. Yeah. So I'll take the hit to my ego all day. <laughs> yeah. If I had to guess, like there's a saying about um, like letting people go, like firing specifically. I've heard like the if you fire someone, you'll always hire someone that was better than the person you just fired because you now know. Like there's no way to very rarely will you fire someone, let someone go and not replace them with an improvement. And it's like, I feel like there's probably less scenarios where jumping back in will actually send the business backward so much so that it would be detrimental, that there's more likely to be improvements that come from it by you doing so, you know? So I have a big caveat here yeah. on this whole thing. And that is when it comes down to actually jumping back into the weeds and then training people. Mm. So there's a couple of different ways you could look at this, right? For example, mm -hmm. my exercise right now where I'm interviewing some of our best fit clients, that's not going to yield a training outcome. That's going to yield uh, messaging that we'll create, right? Mm -hmm. uh, versus jumping back into the sales process in order to train the sales team where this could easily be applied to the client success process or whatever other process in your business you're you're getting into in order to develop a, uh, you know, a framework or a new process and then train somebody on it. My big caveat here is you got to be, and I made this mistake, right? But as, as, as the founder, as a CEO, you've got to recognize that number one, there's things that you can do that nobody else can do. Mm -hmm. You know, like on the sales side, there's deals that you're going to close that nobody else is going to close. Yep. There's offers that you can make that nobody else can make. So you've got to yep. be aware of those 100 who you are when you show up on that call and the yep. limitations of other people and and then also be able to train. And I know you're going to do this right. I'm just sharing this for the audience's yeah, yeah. sake. Be able to train in a way that doesn't force the person that's going to take this over to do it the way you do it because they're not yeah. you. Exactly. Yeah. I'd argue though that in your scenario, you could train someone else to do these interviews and have it be an ongoing feedback loop. So... 100%. There could, be a, there could be a training opportunity. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's been my experience in sales is what I've learned yeah. kind of the hard way. I think in the beginning when I was training salespeople, I would try to train them to sell like me. And it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, the same goes for, I mean, for a lot of people that are probably, you know, earlier days, like you might not be stuck in sales because you are the main salesperson right now, which makes sense. This might be you hopping back into fulfillment when you shouldn't be thus sacrificing sales because you're not on the front lines doing the thing you should be doing to grow the business, which is selling. So like it could go on that side, depending upon where you're at in the journey as well. Like back to the, should you be the one doing the account management? Like, should you really? Like maybe you need to systematize it and create a process, but there's still going to be people doing it their own way, following your guidelines. So I could see it translate there too. So I think good distinction. Is this the big bottleneck or the main bottleneck? Am I the only person that could do this? Am I the best person to do this? Am I the only person that should do this? Were the questions that we should be asking ourselves if we are going to jump back in to the mix. Beauty. Hope that helps folks. All right, guys. See you next time.